Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad that we have this time together. I don't sing, so Tom Brock is back in Just studio. He sings. Sing a song. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Are you done? Seems we just get started, and before you know it. Yeah. That, that's enough. All right. Good. Thank you very much. Um, we have Guy Talk coming up this hour, and then in hour two, Colin Smith. You know, he's written a new book on death and grieving. It's going to be a powerful hour as well. So let me know what subject you'd like the power panel to discuss today. We've got Dr. Peter Kapsner with us. We've got uh, Pastor Justin Jepson, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish, who's convalescing at home from foot surgery. So that's the team. Let us know what the questions are. Let's take 60 seconds, and we'll start with Guy Talk in just a minute. Welcome to Faith Radio, a media ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Faith Radio broadcasts on stations across the Upper Midwest and in Hartford, Connecticut, as well as reaching across the country and around the world online and on the free Faith Radio Network app. Check out our program schedule, the list of show podcasts, and more, all available online at myfaithradio.com. Faith Radio, helping you connect faith to life every single day. Which came first, the vegetables or the seeds? It depends, because when it comes to Faith Radio, you may have tasted the fruit of hope and encouragement first. And if you have, maybe that inspires you to give a gift, a seed of sorts, planting roots in this ministry for more fruit to grow. Because just like your garden, once you've tasted it, there can never be enough. You can always find out how to be a part of the giving family at MyFaithRadio.com. It is Thursday, and we do Guy Talk on Thursdays, and I love this segment, and I love the guys that join me in this discussion. I've got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Hello, Peter. Hey, Bill. Good to be with you, as always. Good to have the Toms back as well, Tom. The Toms are back. Uh, yeah, Tom Brock is not traveling, gallivanting all over the world right now, from what I understand. No, so. senor. <laughs> Two weeks in Mexico. He just got back uh, last night. He's in That's great. And all he does is these, this bad Spanish impression. He's, he's bright red, red, too. <laughs> Gracias, senor. Yeah, and he's very tan, which makes me si, senor. very... Uh, listen yeah. to that. This oh, could be a long okay. hour. Okay. Yeah, it could be a very long hour. <laughs> yeah. And Pastor Justin Jepson is here. Justin, hello. Hello. Great to be back. And Pastor Tom Parrish is recovering from foot surgery, and he's uh, coming to us from his home couch. I got my foot above my heart, so I'm doing well. Everything's working great here, guys. That's the doctor's orders, isn't it? If the foot's above the heart, does that mean it's in the mouth, Dom? (laughs) That's where it usually is. (laughs) It's on its way. Yeah. But anyway, gentlemen, thank you for being here, and thank you for participating. Getting Tom uh, Brock back after a couple of weeks, I'm always curious to find out if there's any particular ELCA news, and that would also be Tom Parrish's department. Well, What do you got for me? Yes, listen— my bishop, 
When I was in the liberal ELCA Lutheran denomination, my bishop was a man by the name of Herbert Chilstrom, a very nice, kind, uh, diplomatic man who led the church right down the tubes. And he just died. And let me just quickly tell you about this. Uh, he was he became the first bishop in 1988 of the very large Lutheran merger of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He did not want one professor teaching at our seminary who believes in the infallibility of Scripture. Uh, the ELCA uh, denomination to this day pays for abortion for any reason with uh, health care money from your your uh, offering dollars. So, and he, uh, Chilstrom publicly defended abortion rights. He also was a leader in getting practicing uh, homosexuals to become ordained Lutheran pastors. So he and I did not see eye to eye on my, he was a very nice guy, but I remember his professor was Pastor Maynard Forrest, who used to grieve on how liberal Chilstrom had become. And Maynard Force said, we are nicing people right into hell. So he just died. Maynard, uh, excuse me, uh, Bishop Herbert Chilstrom just died. They had the big, huge uh, memorial service at Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter where uh, Chilstrom lived. And who did Chilstrom pick to give his funeral sermon but Bishop Mark Hansen, under whose leadership the ELCA in 2009 voted to ordain practicing homosexuals. Now they also ordain transgender people. And Mark Hansen got up and preached the sermon. This was just a couple weeks ago. And in the sermon, Mark Hansen, if, maybe I should even quote it for you, but I'll, let me just do it off the top of my head. He got up and, and preached about Herbert Chilstrom's vision for the ELCA church, that that you LGBTQAI plus people not just be tolerated, but be in positions of leadership. And now they are. The ELCA has two practicing homosexual bishops with, quote, husbands. And then he got up and talked about Bishop Tilstrom's vision for America, no border walls, et cetera, et cetera. And you put, you put together Bishop Herbert Chilstrom, who was the first national bishop, and then Bishop Mark Hansen, who was the third national bishop, and if people wondered how on earth did the EL- ELCA get so messed up, the answer is those two men were instrumental, and people just praised Chilstrom like he was an angel of God. And sorry, he was a nice guy. He was he was diplomatic toward me as well, but what he taught was from hell. So there you go. Yeah. And you know, one more quick thing on the ELCA. This is un- unbelievable. You know the verse in First John, in in Him there, in God there is light, and in Him there is no darkness at mm-hmm. all. The ELCA posted that on their website. Some ELCA people were offended how that oppresses black people. That verse. So the ELCA <sighs> apologized. Yeah, they apologized for that Bible verse be- for for hurting people's feelings. I mean, that verse has nothing to do with skin mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. It's talking about the perfection of God. But this ELCA has become so super woke. You know, one other thing, uh, one last thing, and then Buttigieg, is that how you pronounce him? Buttigieg, the, the uh, candidate from Indiana who just bowed out of the Democratic uh, candidates. Uh, did you see the nine-year-old boy that got to the microphone and said, uh, Mr. Buttigieg, you know, you're my hero, basically, and how can I come out as a nine-year-old? I want to be brave like you. Hmm. 
Now, I saw that. If you can Google it and see a horrible four-minute clip where they where he just oozes on this little boy. Oh, you have courage. You're inspiring me. But, you know, evil as that is, when the church does it, it's so much more evil. And the ELCA Lutheran Church two summers ago put an 11-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl in front of their 31,000 teenagers at their teen convention to promote transgenderism. Then at the same large ELCA teen convention, uh, Pastor Nadia Bulls Weber, radical Lutheran pastor, they some refer to her as the rock star of the ELCA. She stood before 31,000 Lutheran teenagers and had them all repeat after me, I renounce the lie that queerness is anything other than beauty. So this is the ELCA that Bishop Hills Chilstrom and Mark Hansen helped produce. It's shrinking. It's dying. My seminary, Luther Seminary, has had to sell off some of its buildings. Uh, two seminaries out east in, in Pennsylvania had to merge. So the ELCA is dying and shrinking, and it should. Hmm. So there's my update. Clean up an L5. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Quickly, Brock, when you when you kind of lay it out that way, though, it's it's interesting in light of history because you started sort of this whole conversation about what's going on in the ELCA with the departure from Scripture. And I know your guy, Martin Luther, was uh, he really anchored himself in the idea of sola scriptura or Scripture alone. Mm-hmm. And you think about where the church was at the time when Martin Luther banged his theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And at that time, there wasn't Scripture guiding their practice. There wasn't scripture guiding their sense of God and what life in his kingdom is about. And as soon as you start straying from scripture Mm -hmm. in those ways, you know, back at that time, it was all about indulgences and they were preaching a doctrine of purgatory and that you had your loved ones in purgatory and you could sort of both pray and give them out of purgatory so they could get released fully into heaven if you just gave a lot of money to the church as it was at that yeah. point in time. Mm-hmm. So it was it was completely um, well, Peter. tarnished the church entirely by all that. And this is what happens when we depart from Scripture. Here's what's demonic and deceptive. Bishop Herbert Chilstrom and Mark, Han- Mark Hansen said, oh, we are biblical, but the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of the church, you know, through different eras, and the Holy Spirit has, is speaking a new word on these things. As I don't, Chilstrom said that I don't know if Mark Hanson did, but he's very liberal on the same issues. When you, it, to me, it's to me to say that the entire two thousand years of Christians who preceded us were wrong on things like homosexuality, whether to call God Father or now Mother Dash Father. You know, to, to say that all of these Christians were wrong, and somehow now. We have some new, enlightened interpretation of Scripture. And I believe in the right. Bible just as much as you do, but I see God as affirming gay sex. You know, this this is what I get in these—I'm on a Facebook page with liberal Lutheran pastors. They absolutely insist that they're solidly biblical. Mm, well, here's yeah, a, but they don't follow Jesus, and that's where the problem comes in. I just read through the book of Hebrews, and one thing I noticed there very clearly, Jesus is our great high priest. He's the one on the throne. And I think the ELCA did everything in their power to take Jesus off the throne and put tolerance and love on the throne. Therefore, they have to reinterpret everything. And quite frankly, the words of Jesus in the Gospels and through the rest of the New Testament are a problem for the ELCA. That's why I no longer call them a church. I see them as a cult. They have left the Gospel. They no longer are serving the one true God. And for them, Jesus is just a great philosopher. Both Tom and I were conservative pastors within the ELCA Lutheran denomination, trying to turn it around. 
for many years. Finally, we could take it no more, and we left, and so have tons of Lutheran conservatives. And that's why it's kind of now anything goes, because the leavening uh, uh, influence of the conservatives is kind of gone. All right, I'm going to take a little break. You're listening to uh, Guy Talk, and the A-team is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Justin Jepson, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish after a short break. I will bring in the B team, which will may sound a lot like the A team. We'll be back in a minute. happening. Let us know what questions you want us to tackle. We'd be happy to tackle any question. 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. And a question came in from a listener. Are there any ELCA churches that aren't like the ones described? Any that don't give money to abortion? Any that don't support LGBTQ agendas? Any that actually adhere to Scripture? There are some. Uh, there's a large ELCA church in Des Moines that continues to stay in the ELCA, and they're very biblical. Um, I don't know why they would stay, because when you give money to the national church, that goes to pay for abortions in, in the health care plan and to promote the GLBT agenda in its magazine, etc. So there are some. There are some pastors still that are in the ELCA, but overwhelmingly, the conservatives left after 2009 when they voted to endorse homosexual behavior. Another listener said, what if you're in an ELCA church and have been for a long time? Do I find a new church? I do. It's finally time to, I mean, I stayed within that denomination for years and I felt I was called by God to try to turn it around. But now that they've done what they've done, it's time. I know it's hard to leave a church you've been at for 50 years and all your friends are there, but maybe your witness to your friends is to get up and politely but loudly leave Mm -hmm. and say, I'm leaving for these reasons. Go to a website called exposingtheelca.org, exposingtheelca, excuse me, dot com. And you'll get a list of articles that why anyone wants to stay in that denomination is beyond me. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I think this is a tough problem. one. I mean, I just... All right, one at a time. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll just say quickly, I think it is hard, Tom, right? I mean, it's, it's such a binary issue at the end of the day. This is There's a lot of things that we can believe and think about in God's kingdom where we can hold the tension and stay in the community together. But as much as I think the impulse to want to hold the tension on this topic is uh, admirable. I just, I don't see that you can have this one both ways. This Mm -hmm. is just one of those issues where it is unfortunately a binary one, and it's difficult to stay within a community in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem with the the Lutheran community, the OCA, is that most of the congregations are ignorant of what's really going on. They're no better in most cases than the pastor or the lead pastors who are bringing this information up. As a conservative, as Tom was and I was, we would bring this up before the congregation. We would tell them what's going on. Even with the Internet and everything else out there today, most of the Lutherans I know are shocked when they hear that the EOCA pays for abortions, are shocked that Jesus has been moved off the throne. They don't understand this. Now, I hope that that youth gathering where they were told, kids were told that queer is good, 
I hope that's what goes back, and the Holy Spirit uses that to begin to wake up congregations, and people begin to ask, what in the world is going on with this church that I've grown up in? I think one one other thing that's just coming to my come to my mind is to flip this on its head on the other side. I mean, you know, on one hand, I I, I had once heard someone say that the, the greatest problem in the world isn't the pervasive darkness, but it's the absence of light. Mm. Yeah, and and I think. You know, the, the, a lot of the conversation that I hear um, that those that are supporting and affirming LGBTQ agenda in any sphere, but particularly within the church, is that idea of, you know, what's loving and, mm-hmm. and defining love. And but yet on the other hand, it's very possible to adhere to right sound doctrine and not be loving and still yes. and still, you know, you know, I'm thinking of Jesus's uh, call to the Ephesian church um, in Revelation 2 that adhered to doctrine, but yet they lost their first love. They even called out false mm-hmm. doctrine, but he said, you need to repent. And if you don't, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. Mm-hmm. So if it's the ELCA, if Jesus is saying, I'm removing the lampstand here because he's the Lord of the church, he's the one yeah. who's building it. The same is also true of maybe someone who's teaching the Bible faithfully mm-hmm. and teaching sound doctrine and that it's right, but yet they're not living righteously yep. from that place of love. And so I think truth and, speak the truth speak in the love. Truth you need in, both. in love. And so I think it's sometimes it's it's hard where we see kind of the the spectrum here and the pendulum swing to one side or the other. Um, and really love is actually supposed to hold the tension between grace and mm-hmm. truth. You don't want to yes, you want to lovingly hold out that sin is wrong, and it's unloving to say it's right, because right. sin hurts people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what drove me crazy about some of these Lutheran bishops. They thought they were being loving by affirming abortion rights, sex outside of marriage, uh, gay sex. That's not loving. You're hurting people for eternity, First Corinthians chapter 6, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, too, I, and I get to interact with seminaries. I, I've done a lot of preaching and teaching or teaching students how to do this and work with faculty, and the one thing that bothers me is that most pastors are not being prepared to pastor a church. Seminary is not a training ground for pastors in most cases. It's a training ground for theology. And as a result, pastors come into congregation, they are nowhere prepared to deal with the politics of the congregation, to deal with disgruntled people, to deal with conflict, and therefore it becomes real easy. Even though they love the Bible, they love the truth, they'll preach the truth where they're at, but they don't want to make waves mm-hmm. because it's just too hard to deal with. And and I understand the dilemma. I had to make a choice in that as well. Am I going to stand up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or am I going to acquiesce to making sure everybody loves me? And it didn't take me long to learn that no matter what I did, nobody was ever going to love me totally. So I had to go back to Scripture, but that means I still care about the people I, I, speaking the truth. I had a phone call today from a, a, a man out in San Francisco who's desperately looking for a good church, and he says, you know, out here it's everybody with the rainbow stoles that are pastors or uh, women pastors who are lesbians. And, and he said it's just it's so hard to find a church in his area. So what I want to say to our, our listeners, this is not just a Lutheran problem. Even further to the left of the Lutherans, uh, and I'm saying ELCA Lutherans, Missouri Synod Lutherans are very biblical. But uh, to the left of the ELCA Lutherans, you have the United Church of Christ which isn't radical, it's bonkers radical. And right next to them, you've got the Episcopalians, which is very radical. Then the ELCA, PCUSA, Presbyterians. Now the United Methodist Church is splitting over these very issues. So these are all over the denominations. And I said to this man on the phone, find a good Missouri Synod Lutheran Church or a PCA Presbyterian Church, which is much more biblical. Or these non-denominational Bible churches tend to be very biblical, but beware of mainline liberal Protestant denominations. 
All right, here's a question I'm going to throw out to all the listeners of the male gender type. Are you uh, a man that burns with biblical convictions? Is that something that you think about and you go, I burn with biblical convictions? Mm. Who wants to jump on that one first? And any listener, if you have a thought, let us know. 877-933-2484. Well, I would say I'm, I'm humbly pursuing that and recognizing only by the grace of God can that take place. I think what's coming to my mind is Jesus' conversation with Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. And it says that as he opened their minds to understand how all of the scriptures speak about him, you know, their observation after he left their presence was, did not our hearts burn within us? Yeah. But I think, you know, in order for something to burn, it has to be fueled. And so I think as, to the degree that I'm in the Word, uh, meditating on it, hiding it in my heart, not just reading it like it's water passing through a pipe and coming mm-hmm. one inside or out the other, um, not as a way that I'm checking off a, a to-do list uh, of a spiritual agenda, but it's a way that I'm actually spending time with the living Christ is to the degree of which my heart's going to burn with biblical conviction. But yet... I do approach with great mixture of motives, and I'm I'm a mess <laughs> most days, and I need I need the Lord Jesus' help and grace in order for His Word to become internalized and actually take root and produce fruit that will last. That's a near perfect answer, Justin. Uh, near, it's near, <laughs> yeah, near <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah. Peter's probably got the perfect answer on well, that. He probably point. does. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I burn all the time with perfect <laughs> passion. Yeah, for that's why you don't have any hair. All of your hair is burned off. Evident, right? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, I just one quick comment on that. I would say that I, so much of my life I didn't really. I sort of reading the Bible was one of those kind of rote obedience things that I thought I had to do. And we're all wired differently. I know for me when I sat in a class in seminary and we had a, a just sort of this ancient professor who never really looked up from his notes in four hours of class from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. But somehow the class was entirely riveting because he was teaching us about how to get behind the scenes in the scriptures. And for me... I suddenly felt like I was walking back in some of those first century contexts where Paul walked or Jesus walked and could understand their teaching in a different way or getting into some of the languages. And I guess the impact that made on me is not that I fully understand the scriptures or do I burn with them all day long, but to the extent that I can get behind the scenes in the scriptures over and over and over and over again, have the scriptures proved to be a place of such peace for the soul of explanatory power for the world around us of, of really revealing a kingdom that is worth giving our allegiance to. And so I can't say I've run with it all day long, but to the extent I do get into it, it always brings that, that sort of level of passion from it. When I finally realized that Jesus really loved me and really was a part of my life and really was involved, and I began to fall in love with him. And I'll just use that language because I think that's important, that personalization. When I began to fall in love with Jesus— there was no question about the authority of the Word. And to the point where I've never had Jesus deceive me, I've never had His Word betray me, I've never had His Word lead me in a false way, but I have had, you know, teachers and others that weren't always truthful, a society that isn't, and even my own mind. I had to make up my mind. I'm going to believe this Word because I believe in the one who it's all about, as uh, Justin mentioned a little bit ago, it's written about Jesus. All right, I'm going to take a little break. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let us know what questions or issues you would like us to tackle. 877-933-2484. Again, 933-2484. I'll say it a third time, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back.
on Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Guy Talks Happening. Dr. Peter Kaffner with us. Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Justin Jepson, loaded with pastors. All right, a couple of questions have come in, a couple of comments. Here's one. Uh, listen up, guys. What a divisive conversation. Is this show just for evangelicals or for the entire body of Christ? This bashing of mainline Protestants as though you know the heart of all mainline Protestants is so sad to me. Such judgment of other believers is also unbiblical. Why? I feel mm. judged by that. Con- See, that's the thing. When people say judge not, you're being, they're making a judgment. And we're both making judgments. Jesus said, judge with righteous judgment. The same Jesus who said judge not also said judge with righteous judgment. So I feel judged by this person's comment. No, I don't. It's fine for them to have that comment. But it's fine for me to have my comments, too, about what's happened. I am a mainline Protestant. I'm a Lutheran. I can talk. Do I know the minds and hearts of every mainline Protestant? Of course I don't. I never said I did. But this comment bugs me. Because this is what we get when we stand for biblical scripture. We'll get liberals in the church saying, you're being judgmental. Well, that you're judging me. And Jesus said to judge with righteous judgment. That is just as much in the scriptures as Jesus saying, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, yeah, I think on the flip side, if I can just jump in quickly yeah, too ahead, on that. Too, is, you know, I, I, I do have a, a significant level of understanding and, and sympathy, I think, um, just because it is such a confusing issue. And, and especially when this involves our uh, involves our loved ones and i have uh, very good friends within the lgbt community and i have a, a dear friend of mine whose son came out recently and um, most people just simply want what is good and and very you know so very few people are sitting there saying gosh i i, I just want to represent hell and bring hell on earth i mean even the pastors involved in some of the churches that are bringing leadership to the table that i would disagree with uh, entirely on lgbtq matters i was at a church a couple of weeks ago, and I had to present a, a biblical view of traditional marriage. And the foil from that was a person who was presenting a view of inclusivity from the scriptures. And, and we were in very different places, but he was he was an honest, authentic man. Do I think he was right? I don't think he was right at all. Uh, am I concerned about the future when we are promoting things that I would believe to be inconsistent with the kingdom? And, and I do believe gay, gay marriage is inconsistent with the kingdom. Yeah, I'm concerned about those things, but I know very, very few people that are interested in just putting people in chains and captivity and, and all of like how we might talk about these things. So I would offer a caution that there's a lot of very good hearted people that are also being led astray. And, and I think that we have to faithfully talk about these things in, in a way that can bring some hope and maybe some conviction. But I would be careful not to be clobbering people, too. I, I just don't think well, that's a great you know, And Peter, I don't want to clobber people either, but just for our listeners, I personally have struggled with same-sex attraction most of my life. Right. It's right. still a sin. And, I mean, when I go to, when I spoke at a church in Florida on this issue and gave my testimony, some grandmother stood up, but my grandson's a homosexual. I'm thinking, so what? That doesn't change the scriptures. And you know what? The loving person in the conversation is the person who lovingly, humbly is going to hold forth what God says about this, not the person who, um, you know, compromises Scripture to make people feel good. I I agree with your point. I I think a lot of people, Peter, are sincerely 
trying to hold forth what they think is true. But you can be sincerely wrong. And I think there's, there is arrogance going on to be able to ignore sure. what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. Whoever mm-hmm. your uh, nemesis was <laughs> at that church discussion, I would have asked, you know, nobody has believed like you believe until the last decades of the 20th century. Don't you think we should humble ourselves and listen to all the Christians for the last 2,000 years on how to interpret these scriptures? No, I don't disagree. There's plenty of arrogance on both sides, you know, no question. It goes back to something that Parrish, uh, I think, said earlier, too. Seminaries are not a place where where pastors are being faithfully trained in in these issues, Mm -hmm. typically speaking. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think people who are holding on to traditional marriage have to be able to articulate much more clearly is what could possibly be wrong with people in a loving gay relationship relationship and monogamous marriage behind closed doors. They're not hurting anybody in maybe some suburb of Minneapolis. I mean, that's the objection. And there are definitely ways to address this and to talk about why that would be unfaithful on behalf of the world and the kingdom. But I think to have to walk through these things where people are actually living and how they're experiencing their worlds, uh, is there arrogance on both sides? There absolutely is. But I think there's a different pathway we can we can start to take. And, and Parrish brought it up. I I think our pastors need to be much better equipped in terms of how to handle this, because most pastors I run into feel very paralyzed for understandable reasons. One of the advantages I've had, for good or bad, is that I've had a lot of people come to me over the years for counseling, from other churches as well as my own church. When you sit with gay people and you hear the dark stories they have behind closed doors, you hear the, the doubts and the fears, you hear the anger, and the violence among many gay men that most of us never talk about, when you sit with women that have had abortions and are now bitter and angry at their family and feel that God will never forgive them and they can't forgive themselves, here's the problem. We like the positive end of it. Oh, let people love one another. What's wrong with that? What we fail to understand is that when we violate the way the Lord has called us to love, there's a dark side. And that dark side is so real. And I've sat by bedsides and held hands of gay men that are dying when nobody else was there. None of their yeah. friends were there. They're dying, and they're all on their own, and they're wondering, you know, what have I got to do to be right with the Lord? You begin to see that, and I, I, Peter's right. Here's my problem. I can get really worked up about this and emotional because it's like when my grandson uh, died, my first grandson, I was very emotional because I was so close to him. I'm the same way as I'm working with these people. I start to get emotional when I see the dark side of what we're not being told. Well, and another kind of facet to this, I think, you know, Peter, you and I have maybe discussed this a little bit. I remember you saying, you know, there's kind of this gospel of inclusivity that's preached from one side, and then there's really kind of this gospel of exclusivity on the other side of, you know, welcoming everybody in and keeping certain people out, when the reality is that God's kingdom is inclusively exclusive. So, Mm -hmm. in other words, everyone had a welcome seat at the table of Jesus to come as they are, but it was never Jesus's goal to keep them as they are. So the goal, right. the goal wasn't inclusion. Inclusion was a means to the end of transformation, which only happens through Jesus. And if I could say, you know, back to Bishop Chilstrom's funeral, they had the liberal ELCA bishop's uh, funeral. Somebody gave the invitation for Holy Communion. It used to be in the Lutheran Church that communion is only for those who are baptized, sorry for their sins, and trusting in Christ. If that's not you, don't come up for communion. Well, there's a new teaching now in, in our liberal Lutheran circles that baptism is for, excuse me, communion is for everybody, whether you've been baptized mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. And so did when when the Bishop Chilstrom uh, funeral 
communion started, the person said, uh, wherever you are in your journey, we practice open communion. You're welcome to come. Well, wherever you are at, in your, if I'm an atheist, can I take communion? I think some of them would say yes. So your, your, your point mm-hmm. is right that Jesus it includes everybody. He wants everyone to come and be saved. Mm-hmm. But there are still some mm-hmm. issues called repentance and faith that we need to follow. Right. And and I so my you know from different background I uh, you know I'm kind of more of a denominational mutt but the last church that I served in was a Baptist church mm-hmm. and when I would have the privilege of administering communion we would mention that this is for Christians yes. and mention what what yes. a Christian is however there's some of you you could come take communion for the first time but in so doing what you can repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior mm-hmm. and use that. Uh, the administration of communion as a way to share the gospel and call people to a decision. I I would just add one little thing to that, though. In the New Testament, the way I read the book of Acts, people are always baptized first. That was their introduction to the church, and then they took communion. So I would add, but if you've never been baptized, call us, talk to us, and we'd be glad to baptize you, and Mm -hmm. you can take communion, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. All right, gentlemen, uh, changing topics. As Christians... And especially men, what are some things we can do to keep our love affair with Jesus alive? Well, I think Lent is a, is a great invitation into that right now. I know mm-hmm. we're into Lent at this point, and my family, we celebrated uh, Ash Sunday, actually, this last Sunday, because we missed <laughs> Ash Wednesday as a family. So now let's, let's give that a shot. But I, it was it was an interesting time, and my wife, Hallie, led uh, the conversations for us and our family, and and she brought up the point that I thought was really helpful and is helping me sort of re-engage with my love for Jesus as a result of that, where she said, you know, in, in a time of Lent, there's an invitation to take a little bit of stock in your life. And what are those things that maybe you are treating as source in your life versus gift in your life? And uh, life can be either of those things. Uh, in the same circumstance or the same situation can be either of those things. A business or a job can be a source of life to you, or it can be seen as gift. Uh, a relationship can be a source of life or a gift. And as soon as I start treating the circumstances or the things with which I'm involved around me as source, my fingers get really tightly gripped around all of those things. And interestingly enough, I start getting really oriented towards them. It's what I think about all day long. It's where my mind goes. It's where my heart goes. It's what I wake up with in the middle of the night. And I'm kind of crowded out in terms of crowding out Jesus in, in my life in those moments. And so the opportunity to release your hands, release your fingers a little bit on a daily basis. I hardly ever know when I'm gripping life too tightly again, but <laughs> find myself there. And so moving to that place of, uh, we, we took some pieces of paper and, and to move into this place of creating space for Jesus again in a more unfettered way, we wrote down on the pieces of paper those things we were seeing as source in our lives, and then we burned them and used them as the ashes for Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... I, that's maybe just one practice that I'd love to take away, not just from this time of Lent, but from life in general, is just asking myself the question, is today about source or is today about gift? And if it's gift, I'll, I'll certainly be seeing things from a different standpoint. And, you know, Peter, just, just to reiterate to our listeners that might not know what Lent is, a lot of Christians, not all by any means, but a lot of Christians observe Lent. The word Lent means spring. It refers to the 40 days before Easter when we celebrate yeah. the resurrection. And typically it's kind of been symbolic of Jesus' 40 days of being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It's Historically, it's been at the time when we repent over our sins, 
rededicate our lives to Christ. Maybe we fast from certain foods or entertainments or whatever. And that's what Lent is. It's a time to look at your life, repent of your sins, rededicate your life to Christ. And it's it's a great practice. A lot of churches do it. A lot of them don't. But and it's not. Somebody said, but it's not in the Bible. Okay, you don't have to do it. But there's a lot of good, like light bulbs aren't in the Bible either, but we use them in most of our churches. So, you know, just because something isn't specifically in the Bible doesn't mean you can't use it. Men are pretty independent, is my experience. I don't know how the Lord got me into it, but almost every summer for a number of decades, I'd have a summer Bible study for men, and oftentimes newly married men. One of the things I began to do in there right away is that instead of just jumping right into Scripture, although we could get in there, I'd say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life this week. And then I would say, what's he done in your life? How has he answered a prayer? How is he helping you? And I know the guys looked at me at first like I was crazy. But it was very interesting because over a period of like 14 weeks through the summer, I watched a transformation take place in these guys to where at the beginning they would never talk about personal Jesus. Usually by two-thirds of the way through, I couldn't shut them up. But it was because we don't really, as the body of Christ— Ask one another. We don't encourage one another. Rarely does, I mean, how many times at church does somebody come up to you and say, Justin, by the way, you know, how are you and Jesus doing? What's he saying to you? How's he teaching you to be a better husband? Rarely happens. And as a result, the world isn't going to do it, and therefore it doesn't get done, and therefore we're not pushed in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way that the, um, the listener phrased that, my, my love affair with Jesus was interesting to me. And I think... Uh, you know, this is where the, the kind of the classic spiritual disciplines come into play, and there's so many that we could talk about. But I think even if I could if I could boil it down, um, even to a phrase, is is to daily fight to have passionate, uninterrupted time with your heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we Love have that. so much distraction. And oh. the way that I, I I just experienced this at the human levels with my wife of a couple of weeks ago, just. I felt like we were flying off of the off the rails. We had so many things going on. We were so busy. We had all this shoulder to shoulder time. It's like we were just ships passing the night, and I, and we were at, at each other's nerves. We were, you know, it was just, you know, I'm just being just being real here. But we're like, we need to get some face to face time. So we mm-hmm. sent the kids off to grandma and grandpa. We sat and had a two hour meal together, and it's amazing how wow. during that time, I, we didn't have any agenda. We just enjoyed time. We enjoyed food. We had uninterrupted time, face to face time together. And and, def- and, been, and when I say passionate, I don't mean this flowerly, you know, romantic feeling that's there. Passionate's because it's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right. something that you have to fight for. And so I think uh, to engage in that every single day. And of course, you're adding in scripture. You're being honest. You're being real. So I just I had to share some things that was going on in my heart because I, I was just I was just a grump. I was honestly just a jerk. And I said I had to say I'm sorry. <laughs> I repent, I confess, and and to be able to enter into that conversation, um, model that we can model that with our human relationships, but that's one of the ways that we do that with the Lord, and that helps keep the well, that's awesome, love alive. Justin, we're going to take a little break. Take a little break. Panel, say goodbye to Dr. Peter Kapner. He's going to go pick up his kids. Goodbye, Peter. Yeah, great to be with you guys as always. Yeah. Bye, PK. We'll take a short break and be right back. Talks underway. Dr. Peter Kepner is gone now, so we've got Pastor 
Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Justin Jepson, and yours truly. So, um, all right, guys, uh, here's a question from a listener. Do you think the current political squabbles are just symptoms of the drift away from this scripture in our world? I'm, so on one hand, time. yeah. Well, I, on one hand, I would say, I mean, sure, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of what we see in our culture today is is evidence of the of 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 wickedness, of evil, of a departure from Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But I think, you know, the that that's true not just in politics, but I think that's just true in general in our culture. And I think politics tend to reflect or be really the thermostat or the thermo thermometer of our culture rather than the thermostat. So I think they're more reflecting our culture and what we value rather than driving it. And mm-hmm. sure they reinforce it, but I think the really what we see in the political squabbles is really it's it's reflecting kind of the reality and the way of life within our culture. Well here's what tra- drives me a little crazy. You've got pro abortion, pro gay marriage Democrats who tell you that they are f- devout Catholics. And God bless those Catholic bishops who finally are saying, you're not getting communion until you repent. Oh, but I don't want to force my Catholic beliefs on the other, on the uh, general population. And then those same Catholic uh, politicians will say, the reason I'm for feeding the poor and welcoming the refugee over our borders is because of my Catholic faith. Well, how come you apply it there, but mm-hmm. won't apply it over here. Mm-hmm. See, and I, again, I, I love it when Catholic bishops start holding some of these people accountable who say they are Catholics and have a 100% pro-abortion voting record. Mm. As I've looked at history around the world and through the centuries, politics has always been dirty. No question about that. You can go clear back to Greece to see that. What we're seeing today, though, in America, uh, after a short history of 250 years, this is the most vehement and the most negative we've become toward one another. And I don't doubt one bit somebody's going to pick up a cane and start hitting somebody over the head in the Senate. There is a great uh, level of anger and a great deal of self-righteousness all over the place. And truth is lost in the process. And I think that's a result. If you look at over the last 50, 60 years, whereas we've removed prayer from the schools, the Bible from the schools, we've removed uh, Jesus from the public arena, no nativities in the public place, you go right down the line. It's like we have, by removing those, we've also opened a floodgate to hell. And people come up with now the worst ideas and the worst thinking and the worst desires. And quite frankly, they're willing to lie to get whatever they want. And lying is a problem for all of us. But those of us that are redeemed know that's not how we're to live, we're to repent. But these poor folks, that's all the language they seem to know anymore. Hmm. All right. Is uh, Sunday a a man-made day for the Sabbath? Shouldn't we be celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday? Another listener question. You know, I get this because I have a TV show as well. And and why are you worshiping on Sunday when the Old Testament says worship on Saturday? Look, Look carefully at the Old Testament scriptures. They were specifically given to the Old Testament Jews to make them distinct from the other nations. In the New Testament... You find people worshiping on the first day of the week. Why? Well, something big must have happened on the first day of the week. It's called the resurrection of Christ. If you read Romans chapter 14, Paul deals with the issue. What about a Christian who puts one day above another and then another one doesn't? Paul Paul could have jumped in and said, you better worship on Saturday. He didn't. He just said, let everyone be 
uh, reconciled in their, his own mind on what to do. I, mean, I would encourage people to Google the words false teachings of the Seventh-day Adventists. You'll get whole articles on why it's fine to worship God on Sunday. And, you know, to me, if they want to worship on Saturday, that's no big deal. Paul would say it's no big deal. But when they make that an issue of you are violating scriptures by worshiping on Sunday, they've kind of become cult-like. Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in hell either. So I, I'm not, uh, there are, I believe, Christ, I wouldn't put them in the same categories like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, but there's issues with Seventh-day Adventism. Mm. There can be a legalism there. Yeah. I'd encourage the, the person who sent the text or the call, go back and read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, I believe, is the transitional book between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we don't talk about that much even in Christianity. We think we're still under the same covenant that they were under in the Old Testament. And as Jesus said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, and I bring the new covenant. And the book of Hebrews talks about the new covenant over and over. And yet, we hear very little teaching on that in Christianity, mm-hmm. very little understanding. And so we keep getting confused what these covenants really are all about. And the Old Covenant, says the Bible, says the book of Hebrews, is now obsolete. Yep. It doesn't exist anymore. Yep. We don't make God happy by just following the Ten Commandments. We don't sacrifice the lamb, shed blood to appease for our sins. That has all been dealt with at Jesus, and the whole process now is turning to Jesus and living for him. Yep. We don't have to eat non-pork. We don't, you know, there's, there's <laughs> Old Testament stuff that we are not obligated to do anymore. And, uh, uh, so this is a matter of, you're right, Tom, Hebrews says that those were a shadow of things. Exactly. Well, and, and I would venture to guess, you know, for you, Tom and Tom, and all your years of being pastors, you know, Sunday was probably not your Sabbath day of rest. No, it wasn't. Right? So yeah. you're, maybe you're picking Monday or Tuesday or right. Friday. I mean, so that your point, we can't be overly dogmatic. We can't. On... I would say this, though. The principle of the Sabbath is wise to maintain. I mean, when I was a young oh, yeah. preacher, the mm-hmm. old white-haired preacher I worked under uh, or with, he said, you know, Tom, Thursday's your day off. I don't want to see your foot in this church, your car in the parking lot. You take the whole day off and stay away from here. And that that kept me healthy. Mm-hmm. Pastors that work every day of the week are shooting themselves and their families in the foot. We need to observe that Sabbath principle for our health. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be sun, uh, Saturday or Sunday even. Mm-hmm. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left. Um, can you talk about the sin of hiding from God? Sin. These are text questions, so okay. you don't always get it fully f- the full fleshed out. Fleshed yeah. out, yeah. But I think sure. something is there saying um, maybe uh, maybe there's some hiding going on. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, really, I think what's happening there is shame, and and you know that's that's exactly what we saw. If, back in the garden, it's as old as the garden, and what exactly what Adam and Eve did when they heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day, they, they fled, they hid, because they were ashamed. And so I think that, um, you know, it's so interesting, you know, and God calls Adam, where are you? You know, and we all know when God asks a question in Scripture, it's not because he's looking for an answer, he doesn't know something about, you know, he, he was giving them an opportunity to step forth back into fellowship and to confess and to, and to own up for what they had. And so I think we hiding from God, uh, and really, what, why did they hide from Him? They were afraid. They didn't have a right view of God, and we have to look at back in the Scriptures to say we have a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Amen. We need to know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We need to know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we need that truth to renew our mind and our view of God so that we can step out of shame and into, back into intimacy. The devil well, hiding from the Lord is like hiding from, you know, a good uh, Labrador retriever. They're going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't hide uh, in that sense. What we do is we hide from ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be honest about our fears, our doubts, our questions, our sins. And so we act as though if we don't pursue the Lord or talk to him about it, he doesn't know. I grew up with a friend who was Italian, and he did a lot of stupid things in his life. And I remember so many times being over at his house, and uh, he would get, you know, told on by one of his brothers that something happened in school. His father was a great Italian man, and he'd always look at his son and go, ay, 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 ay. And I have a feeling that happens in heaven a lot, uh-huh. that the angels are going, ay, 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 because <laughs> we keep doing these things. We think hide us from the Lord when the Lord is there not to hide us but to cleanse us. There's an old, old spiritual about hell that goes, there's no hiding place down there. There's no hiding place down there. And that you cannot hide from God. The devil would have us run from God when we've sinned. Jesus says run to God when you've sinned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for being here for Guide Talk. I hope uh, you have enjoyed this hour. If you want to pass this on to a friend, go to MyFaithRadio.com. And send it to a friend who might be interested in Guide Talk. We uh, have loved this time together. Uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, recovering from foot surgery, calling from his comfortable couch on his, at his home. And uh, in studio, Pastor Justin Jepson and Pastor Tom Brock and Pastor uh, Dr. Peter Capter is in his car right now driving. So we're still talking about you, Peter. Thank you. Uh, we're going to wrap up this hour. And then next hour is Pastor Colin Smith. We're talking about his new book, on mourning and grieving. It's going to be wonderful. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.